attention I can't get no call to action but I try and I try and I try Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards. Today, I've caught Joe Glover, not a fighter. Joe is the kind of guy who gives marketing a good name. He's the chap who started the Marketing Meetup, a positively lovely community that's now 25,000 strong and counting, and where kindness is always front and centre. With weekly free events, Joe's audience regularly hears from Oscar nominees, disabled rights champions, and many of the world's best-known marketers, such as Rory Sutherland and Mark Ritson, only yesterday. Joe says, Five years ago, I was the guy who was too shy to speak to people at networking events. Even when I did pluck up the courage, it felt all people valued was my job title or my budget, rather than me as a person. I knew I wanted to meet other marketers and learn about marketing in a space that felt safe. When I couldn't find it, I made it. Welcome to the show, Mr. Gloverman. Shabba! Shabba! <laughs> That's so good. I had to sit here and, and, and be nice and quiet, but I was laughing along. Mate, that was such a good introduction. Thank you so much. You're so nice. <laughs> right, time to trip you up, mate. Right, easy one. Mac or PC? Mac. Cambridge or Durham? Oh, uh, Cambridge. Introvert or extrovert? Displaying introverted behaviours. <laughs> Number four, Rory or Ritson? Uh, no, no, I'm not doing that. I, I want a career after this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listening or speaking? Listening, easy. Right, two more. The Apprentice or a Dragon's Den? Dragon's Den, only slightly. Uh, the Apprentice can get in the trash. It can walk <laughs> into the sea. <laughs> right, last one then. Eric Cantona or Eric the dog? Oh, no. <laughs> well, uh, Eric the dog, mainly because there will be reprisals if, if uh, Eric Cantona is chosen in that situation. But, um, but yeah, he is a hero. God, that was horrible. Mate, jeez. <laughs> You warned me, but blimey, that was that was intense. Antonov <laughs> was annoyingly before your time, to be honest. When when we yeah. <laughs> so the first Man United shirt I had, I think I must have been five, uh, three. It was either three or five, and it was that. It was the one with the Man United crest in the middle with the collar that Cantona famously popped. It was like a gradient uh, white to grey collar. And uh, that was my first Man United shirt, and, and uh, I had Joe Seven on the back. So, so oh, perfect. And did you did you presumably had your collar up? Oh, probably. I mean, the thing that my dad did was um, he he said, "Oh, you'll grow into it." And so, whenever I I uh, got football shirts, which I did every Christmas, that was my my main gift was a football shirt. He'd buy it like four sizes too big, 
I'm not even joking right now, but like I found one the other day and I still don't fit into it. Uh, it was a double XL men's. And I was like, you gave it to me when I was 12. And I was like, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know why we found that shirt, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm sure the collar was popped back in uh, 1995. But yeah, uh, Man United shirts is, is a big deal. <laughs> So Joe, listen, I'm, I'm so happy to have you on, mate. And I'm going to start, as we always do, by asking you to tell us how it all started. So can you start by telling us what was your first ever job? And then what was your first proper job in marketing? Nice. Uh, so my first ever job. So I, I listened to the, the episode you did with Blair Enns the other day, and he was speaking about being a pot wash. Um, I was ever so slightly up the pecking order potentially in in the uh in the restaurant world because i was a waiter uh that was my first job but it was in a pub for three pounds 60 an hour um and uh it was it was one of those where they, they served you ordered at the bar so really all i was doing was bringing out the food uh that was also around the same time as you know a series of jobs where um i worked in a factory picking and packing pharmaceuticals I worked in Halfords for a number of years. Right from the first moment I could work, I, I did really, uh, sort of legally at the very least. <laughs> My first job in marketing um, was actually for a, a company called Business of Software. I, I owe, I owe that, a lot to that job. So I, I need to take a step back really to, to sort of explain the context for getting that job in the sense that when I left university, so one of your questions was about um, Durham or Cambridge, and I went to Durham Uni, which is you know it's a decent enough university like I, it's a good one by by certain standards and and you know so people were getting in touch with us at the time sort of ringing up and saying you know I've got a job for you because you're a Durham graduate and the, the job which I said yes to was as an SAP consultant and I specifically sold on the line that you'll be on 100 grand after five years and like for me at the time and I'm bringing my dad back into the story but when I was growing up, we always used to take the mick out of my dad because he had no hair, which is very ironic now given my hairstyle. <laughs> but like, he would come back in a bit of classic parenting in hindsight and say, I might have no hair, but I earn more than you do. <laughs> and, so, and so I think that kind of screwed me over to a certain extent because like, I spent a decent amount of time assuming that my self-worth was assu- uh, uh, correlated very strongly with, with how much I earned. And so I got this job as an SAP consultant and within three to four months, just knew it wasn't right for me. It was mind numbing um, in so many ways. Um, I was working in FTSE companies. We were doing 14 hour days. We were in Slough in the Holiday Inn. I'd have a Holiday Inn salad for dinner every night. The only salvation was going to the gym to watch the World Cup, but like it wasn't, it wasn't a big one. But at the time, I was still blogging about social media, and that's actually what I wrote my dissertation on as well. And so I had this vague idea that I wanted to go into into social media. So social media was my my gateway drug, so to speak, into marketing. My wife was working in Cambridge at the hospital, so uh, I left my London job and, and got a job in Cambridge. And the first place that would take me was this company, Business of Software. Now, Business of Software is 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 a special event it's a special conference in the sense that for software people looking to grow businesses it's a really really wonderful safe environment a lot of the values that the business of software spoke about is what we speak about today at the marketing meetup and 
in my first role in marketing, their speakers were people like Rory Sutherland and Seth Godin and people like that. So my education for the first two, three years of my marketing career were watching videos of people like Rory and Seth, amongst others like Jason Fried and, and, and uh, April Dunford and, and all these sort of amazing people speak about these topics, which about building a business, about marketing, whatever it may be. And so that's where I learned. To combine that experience, I was also, Business of Software was a three-person company. And so I was the only marketing board sort of working there. And so my exposure to the marketing sort of sphere as, a, as an entire sort of concept was, was broad straight off the bat. As a funny story, I remember. See, I think I invented the funnel um, because <laughs> I remember one day sort of like writing out all the, all the things I was doing and putting them into like a funnel shape and, and sort of saying, well, you know, at the top, you know, at the top here, we've got like this activity, which is building our brand. And then we've got people going down and this is where we get a bit more serious and stuff like that. And then, yeah, my, my boss told me that the funnel existed and it was an actual thing. But anyway, so, so yeah, <laughs> uh, I invented the funnel. That's, that's, that's. <laughs> that's going in the teaser, mate. That's going in the teaser, Ed. I love that. Well, things are getting reinvented and renamed all the time in this industry, as I'm sure you well know. In fact, there's, there's, a, wonderful, uh, there's a wonderful sketch. There's a comedian. Um, I forget his name because I'm under pressure to remember it, but I follow him on Twitter and he regularly shares just amusing uh, script ideas for TV shows, and this is relevant because of our quickfire where I mentioned Dragons Den, and there's a there's a Dragons Den script that he shared not long ago, and it says, "Picture, I, I'm here to ask for a hundred thousand pounds investment into my invention, the Thing Basher." <laughs> then, uh, Theo or whoever it is says, "Ah, oh, it looks awfully lot like a hammer." Goes, a what? <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. That's, oh, so that's cool. quite the that's quite the journey. There's a few things there that I've that I'd like to flag. Firstly, I like the fact that you said, or at least flagged the fact that self worth does not correlate with salary. But then I can't also help but worry that that might have been your opinion at the time you were earning three pounds sixty an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I really didn't think a lot of myself at that point. And thought, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no. You're right. I, you know, weirdly, and I think I had more belief in myself at that point. I, I think I was working for a, a Marston's pub. I probably had the belief that I'd be CEO of Marston's after three years. So I, I sort of thought I was on my on my way up the slippery slope at that point. So. <laughs> but yeah, no, bad. <laughs> and then SAP, to be honest, I mean, we've we've actually had, we've done some work with them as an agency. And, you know, I, I know when I say I know they won't mind me saying this, I hope they don't mind me saying this, but there's very few people at SAP who can actually describe what SAP is and what it does. Yeah, I, I remember to this day, systems, applications, and processes. So there you go. That, that's what SAP do. Uh, unpick that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> There's enough there. So did, but did you know, so when you were at Durham and then uh, subsequently Cambridge, did you have any early intention to go into marketing or even advertising as you know most people are probably more familiar with at a younger age? No, uh, no, not really. So advertising, yes, actually. So, so, the first marketing book I ever read was uh, Love Marks by uh, Kevin Roberts, who was the CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi. And so that was that was something that meant something to me. And 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 this idea of of love of uh, 
creating emotion in, in other human beings and in having a relatability to a bunch of people, then, then that was something that appealed to me. And so I wanted to go into advertising. That's, that's where I wanted to be, you know, and, and specifically Saatchi. Um, I applied for their apprenticeship uh, thing, but didn't get in. And, and, and so uh, decided to pursue SAP. Um, but <laughs> no, I, I, I had this idea that advertising would be for me. I think in hindsight, from what I understand of the lifestyle, then I don't think I would have been particularly good at it. I'm, I'm a bit of a home bird and maybe I'm falsely characterizing my understanding of it. But certainly when I, when I first got into it, then it felt like a work hard, play hard sort of environment existed at the time. I, I'm sure sort of 10, 15 years later, it, it may not be in the same way. But yeah, no, so so um, that's where I wanted to be. But it was it was something that I kind of lost. And I just have vague memories of enjoying the marketing module at university and it being something I was I was vaguely good at. And I think that probably is something about me as well. You know, I quite, I'm not one of these people who will be, you know, I'm not competitive on things I'm bad at, but I'm very, very competitive at things I think I'm good at. I like being a big fish in a small pond, so to speak. And, and so like when marketing felt like something I was good at, then it was something I naturally gravitated to, I think. So whether that's because I just needed the ego boost <laughs> or whether I had a genuine interest, I'm not sure. But either way, I'm pretty happy with how it's ended up. Yeah, no doubt. It's how you should be. So the, so the, so the initial role, it was very much learning by doing which i'm a really big fan of but that comes with the caveat of even that has a limit so there has to be other kind of sources of learning so what happened after that how did you seek more learning was that through changing roles changing jobs was was that through attending conferences and events or a combination perhaps well yes uh yes to conferences and events but that is where the story started with the marketing meetup. So the marketing meetup started because I went to conferences and events and felt very, very uncomfortable. I, I didn't feel like I could get what I needed to out of these events because they were set up in a way which was not conducive to, it, it sounds quite selfish, but not 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 conducive to, to how I choose to operate and, and go about things. And, and so... I would walk into those rooms with the, the knowledge that I would like to be able to do certain things and, and, and left sort of feeling like I hadn't managed to achieve it. And so with that knowledge and that feeling in tow, that's, that's when I started the marketing meetup. I was, I was 22 when I started that first role in marketing, 22, 23, and I was 24 when I started the marketing meetup. And so it was because much to the spirit of your introduction, because I couldn't find it, I, I, I built it. And, and, and really, that's when it all began. Yeah, that's wonderful. Do you think, just going back to that quote that we use in your introduction, I know it's one that you're very familiar with, and I'm, I'm, I'm blissfully aware that it actually has been shared quite a few times. Uh, but I think it's important because I think it, it really succinctly gives people an understanding of what the marketing meetup is and what's kind of at its soul, if you like. There was another quote I love, actually, which I'll drop in now, which was, I'm an introverted person, but that doesn't need fixing, uh, <laughs> which I adore. So do you, I suspect that the your observation, why you found it hard to kind of play an active role in these conferences or maybe to put it better get what you needed and wanted to out of conferences I imagine that's true of every 
industry because you always have that loudest person in the room type dynamic when you have any collection of human beings so how do you go from that knowing that to basically replicating what is a conference slash networking (laughs) facility without creating that psychological blocker that you articulated so well but how do you make it so kind of so welcoming (laughs) well i think it's 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 the c word uh and not the one that ritson would use but culture Uh, (laughs) it's 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 culture it's reinforcing of culture time and time and time and time again to the point where people take it upon themselves so if we were to add another word and it would be co-creation which means to say that it isn't my responsibility to create the environment that we have um it's the responsibility of another c word which is community and then there's probably a fourth c word which is communication which means to say that we communicate and have a very clear idea of what our values are we know that when people walk into the room that we want to create a safe and kind environment. And really one of the things that I've sort of observed over the course of time is it's remarkable how when you tell people tonight to be nice and you tell people that they are kind, it is remarkable how people act nicely and kindly. I think setting those expectations isn't like, it's not magic. Uh, in fact, I think of myself and the format that we put on is remarkably simple. The thing is, it's not what we do that's important, it's how we do it and how we choose to communicate, how we expect people to behave in those environments. I think that happens over the course of time. I don't think it happens straight away. But I think also one of the things that has benefited us over the course of time is that we're now seven years deep into this journey. And the really pleasant thing about all of this is that you get that core group of people who have those values, who sort of see it themselves and take it upon themselves and then then therefore enforce it upon others. I think that time point is a really, 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 really relevant one as well, because like yesterday was a really interesting event. So we had Mark Whitson on and we had we had about three and a half thousand signups for the event. I think it was three thousand six hundred and something. We had about. 1800 people live on the webinar and another thousand that have listened afterwards so far in the past sort of 24 hours or so the interesting thing about that event in particular is we had a whole bunch of brand new people to the community and so the interesting thing was that like i came off the session and like you know in a way and i'm going to be honest here because that's what this podcast is about but I, I came off that podcast and i was like that was amazing that was really really truly amazing what an experience but it didn't quite feel like a marketing meetup event, if I'm honest. And it's because in that instance, there were so many new people to the community that um, that core, that core of what we had, then they didn't have the same sort of effect that you would usually have because all of a sudden, you know, they, they were sort of 200 voices in, in you know, 1800 rather than sort of 200 voices in, say, 600, which would get you sort of week to week. And so the interesting thing about all of that is if you build slowly, you have this opportunity to create a culture, which gives you this opportunity to create something that feels truly special and unique. And so for that reason, you know, we've always been quite deliberative in in sort of deciding that growth will come when growth comes. And it has, and it's nice. And, you know, there's what, I think it's 38,000 people in the community now and stuff like that. And it's cool, you know, but that's seven years of work. And like, I think 
that cultural piece going back to your your question is is how we've done it is what we've focused on and is the single most important thing because what we do is fine but how we do it is 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 the most important thing we interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pods host Charles Edwards on 0189 952 Only the other day, some pod-listening companies did just that, calling for guidance on strategy and brand identity. But we're not asking you to do that. Nope. Anyway, back to the show. And finally, brand purpose. Let's talk a little bit about brand purpose. What a load of fucking nonsense brand purpose is, yeah? Oh, the godfather of marketing, Mark Ritson, telling it like it is. Not what we were after. Hang on. Yeah, <coughs> here we go. Yeah, yeah, really well explained. That makes a lot of sense. I always have this kind of timeline in my head when I'm interviewing guests, and I'm always mindful of jumping too much from past and then into present and then asking for future plans, which I think logically is certainly how I'd quite like to structure some some of my questions, at least to you. But going back just once more to past, your first ever marketing meetup event was hosted in a canteen so not only not only is there the I suppose comparison which we can talk about now or later uh, between hosting communities online and, and the the kind of challenges that faces versus in the flesh and in person I'm sure there's you know pros and cons to both but when it comes to the very first thing how how do you possibly and also to your point about the relative size of the community that kind of largely helps shape new members unless when you do it at scale like yesterday. So when that doesn't exist at all as a core, there isn't a core to come to that canteen and help other people understand how to act. How do you, how do you start? I think you have to start from, a, you, you have the, there's a founder's, a founder's advantage, a founder's choice really. I think they exist. So we're, we're marketers, right? We're marketers, advertisers who listen to this podcast, generally speaking. And, and so we know that we should be market orientated and listen to the customer. But I think there's a but, which is in the first instance, I think if you're a founder of an organization, then there has to be something there where you're like, I know why this exists. And it's probably solving a problem that you have in your own life. And so for me, when I recognized that there was a problem out there that, you know, that there wasn't a place which had this safety to it, that had this kindness to it, then it was sort of my founder's prerogative to be able to put together copy in this instance on a meetup.com page, which said words to the effect of this is a non-salesy environment. This is somewhere where you come and benefit the humans in front of you. And this is somewhere where we're going to have a nice, good time. I think we then reinforced that through the event. I mean, it was held in the canteen, so very sort of like informal. The buffet was nice, so people had like nice food. Like there were drinks out, free drinks, so like people were like, you know, a little bit more relaxed and that sort of thing. And then they had like this specky 24-year-old at the front, you know, just sort of telling them, you know, why we're doing this thing. And I, I think in the first instance, people used to say this to me all the time and, and actually it messed me up a little bit, to be honest, but they said, you know, you're, you're disarmingly nervous, you know, and, and, and by being disarmingly nervous presenting at the front of these events, then I think folks were almost like willing us on and like by willing me on, they're kind of willing everyone else on to have a nice time too. And so if I was to sort of retroactively unpick the things that made 
the culture sort of instigate in the first thing. I think the first thing is knowing what the problem is that you're trying to solve. The second is communicating those things super clearly, whether that's through your copy or through more behavioral based things, such as like having an informal environment. And then the third is sort of creating that spirit and letting people know that it's not just like something that's happening to them. It's something that they're part of. Um, To put a point on that, that last one in particular, then we've landed on this phrase, which is positively lovely, which means to positively lovely is twee, right? You know, some people wince when they say it, say it, I can see it on their faces. But the idea behind it is that like you come and you're kind and you, you put your best foot forward and, and you help the individuals in front of you first. That's what's encapsulated in there. But that wasn't the phrase that we had in the first event. That wasn't something where I stood at the front and was like, oh, be positively lovely. It was only after sort of six months of iteration where like we were sort of like outlaying the house rules at the beginning of the event where people would sort of like go, yeah, yeah, type of thing. But one day at the beginning of an event, I said, uh, listen, say hello and be positively lovely. These are the rules. And on be positively lovely, we kind of got a little giggle and a little smile back. And so I said it at the next event and the next event and the next event. And and that's how it began. And, and you know, that's taken us through these past seven years as a phrase. But I think the thing that is worthy of pointing out in that instance is that, like, yes, it came from me in, in terms of the terminology, but it was like instant market feedback in a way, you know, that people were like resonating with it and instantly got it. You know, you come here and you are going to be positively lovely. And so to sum it all up, I think first thing, as we say, problem, second, communicate. Thirdly, you know, so co-create it. And and, and fourth, you know, iterate, you have to iterate. And it's not that weird sort of like putting in a bucket of like words like innovation, collaboration and stuff like that. It's, it's, It's the idea is that like you can just keep on changing things over the course of time if you've got that strong enough bond at the beginning, which I think is so often your foundation story. Yeah, iterate especially feels very powerful as a as a kind of piece of advice for people out there rather than maybe sweating getting it right from the off and allowing things to grow and, and I suppose just to breathe. Because I imagine you've evolved so much in, in, in those these recent <laughs> years. I mean, obviously the pandemic was a curveball for everybody, but not least for, for people who had previously been running in-person events. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah, we've changed loads. I mean, our first logo was made in paint. (laughs) You know, know, there is so much that has changed and a lot that is yet to be figured out, but it has changed a lot. Did you think you always set out to build something with that really, you know, genuine and good values at its heart, just going back to positively lovely? Because, I mean, obviously that's shaped significantly, if not entirely, by you as a person. I can't help but maybe even nod back to the first marketing book you've ever read, Love Marks. Yes. <laughs> which, which talks about love and, and, and in the context of brand. Um, and you have subsequently built a brand that I think people do love and they do have that kind of value associated with it. I don't know, mate. You know, like, I think some people will come on a podcast and say, oh, I had a grand plan. I knew what I was doing all the time. Honestly, like for the first five years of this thing, I've been saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like no idea whatsoever. Like 
and, and like you know literally taking it day by day by day by day even when it was my job you know i'd just be doing things and, and then people would say you know can i get involved and i'm like yeah all right then you know let's figure it out so that's <laughs> kind of it's kind of what we've been doing and and there is an element you know now it is a little bit bigger that we're you know we're kind of a like i'd say like a sort of a tween stage you know that sort of like early ad- adolescence where we're slightly having to figure things out more more based in kindness to the folks who are involved than anything you know the, the organizers the the sponsors uh the speakers i i think there's a lot of value in clarity so we are having to figure out those things that make it a little bit less day by day but truthfully i think we're more guided by broad principles you know these ideas that the marketing meetup at our very best is when we take people on a journey of confidence and whether that's confidence through knowledge or confidence through connections then ultimately the 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 thing which makes the back of my hairs uh, the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up is when people come into a room looking a little bit shy looking a little bit like i did when i was 24 and then walking out the room head held high maybe even walking out with someone else they've met that night you know and, and they're going for a drink afterwards and you can see the confidence change in them and that that's the thing that like on a daily basis i'm making my decisions by and so the the truthful answer is there is no grand plan people keep asking me i'm like ah oh, no yeah i'm just freaking making it up you know but i know the thing that feels right the thing that feels right is that confidence journey and if we can take people on that and make decisions by that, then I think we're doing okay. Talking about then growing up, teenage years, maybe starting to go out, meet people. <laughs> yeah. There's a few things I can probably throw at you there and you can you can bat back whichever one you want to. So let's 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 lob a few things. So people are starting to actually physically go out a lot, lot more. There's a kind of return to offices, there's clearly a return to in-person events. And there's also going out in terms of crossing seas and borders, popping up in places like New York and further afield. So, uh, what what does the you know the the growing up or in fact grown up marketing meetup look like, and and where's it going, physically and obviously emotionally? Yeah, well, I think emotionally we stay very similar um, because I think that is very key and core to everything we ever do. I think uh, physically we just do more of it and and not growth for growth's sake but growth because growth enables impact and if we speak about that journey of confidence and giving folks confidence then the impact we want to make is building confidence in more folks and therefore we need to grow it the way that looks is more physical locations so we had um, 11 locations in september we have 22 now uh, in the beginning of february and I think we'll have 32 uh, by the end of next month, which means to say that we're rolling out events. I think we'll do about 196 this year. Sorry, say that number again. I think it's 196 in-person events this year. I did hear it. I just wanted you to say it again. <laughs> it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's silly. It's, you know, like, it's great. You know, it's cool, you know, the nice thing about all of it actually and, and this probably does tie into your question as well is like i need to get out the bloody way you know I, i'm i'm 
slowing things down like nobody's business you finally know. he realizes <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing podcasts you know <laughs> how, how many of those events do you actually physically attend and does it matter to both you and does it matter to the audience because i have a feeling it might i so i i run cambridge and london myself i don't attend as many events as I would like to, but I think there is a good reason for that, which is uh, I'm I'm dad now, and and so part of the growing up of the marketing meetup is like, how do I build a community which does not require me to flog myself all over the country constantly, or indeed all over the world constantly, and and, and build something which means I can be the dad that I want to be as well. Does it matter to the folks who um, who come to our events? I think I am associated, uh, truthfully, with, with the marketing meetup on a, on a very surface level. I think a lot of folks will find out about TMM through me, but I think that is increasingly uh, becoming not the case. And my ambition is that while I think the founder's story is important to explain the context of why we do what we do, that increasingly I find myself in a place where I am not that person who is has to be the middle of it. Because, and there's a reason for that. And that reason is that like, there's a life mantra I live by, which is it's not about you. Which means to say this whole exercise by definition has not been about me. And so like, we need to grow in a way which feels that, that means that we can enable folks who have never ever heard of me to engage with the marketing meetup. And by the way, they're doing this already, which is really, really nice, but never heard of me to, to come to our events or even run our events and do that perfectly comfortable because they resonate with the emotion and the feeling and, and, and what we're trying to create more than they do resonate with me. Because I think there is this value in, in me uh, being involved, but almost as we know, there's a lot of power in like having a character in advertising. And like, I think my role sort of long-term is more being like a character or an ambassador in a way, rather than it is sort of like being on the ground, so to speak, because, you know, one, a whole business can't run around one pe- one person because I have my strengths and weaknesses. And there are people now who are organizing marketing meetup events who are doing a way better job than I am at running marketing meetup events. And like, I'm learning from them. And, and so like, I take what I can from them, but like at the same time, if I'm not the best person to be doing these things, then, then I need to get out of the way. There are, of course, um, as you say, there's all of the other individuals involved and there's, you know, the sponsors who obviously enable it to happen and enable it to have the scale and life that it, that it enjoys now. But there's also um, the Liam to your Noel or the Noel to your Liam, whichever way <laughs> You want to talk about it mr james sandbrook who's a significant person in this story that i don't know james i've never met james but i uh, feel obliged to give him a nod yeah i uh, I'm, I'm glad you did and and i almost feel guilty as you as you say there that I, I haven't mentioned him first but like james is the most uplifting supportive proactive kind smart creative human that i have the benefit of spending time with almost hourly <laughs> on the phone. You know, um, we met at a marketing meetup event. He was he was someone who 
was traveling from Birmingham to Cambridge to come to marketing meetup events because it didn't exist near him. He was someone who put his hand up and said that he would like to run an event close to him uh, and, and do it himself. And, and so was one of the first people to run a location that wasn't uh, in Cambridge. And he's been integral to everything we do. And, and the lovely, lovely thing about it is that, you know, in, in the examples there of the great double acts, then I think every one of us does have our strengths and weaknesses. And, and his are largely, if we had a Venn diagram, there'd, there'd be a lot in the middle that we sort of cross over on. But there's also a fair bit, you know, specifically on the commercial side, the account management, you know, the sort of growing a, a sustainable business that enables us to do the stuff that we do. Like if James hadn't sort of brought me on that journey with me, with him, then it's fair to say that TMM wouldn't exist as it does today. Never mind the inspiration that he's sort of given us over the course of time. It was it was James that suggested starting the newsletter, which is now the lifeblood of the business. Uh, it was James who introduced any sense of professionalism to our sponsorship. It was James who started the Brum event. It was James that sort of enabled folks to uh, sort of build teams in their locations and recognize the importance of attendee experience. You know, he, the man is, the man is a wonder. And, and I think broadly speaking, that sense of having a, a co-founder has been something which has been incredibly important for me. And and just to put a, like a, a, a point on that, I'm, I'm, way too introspective you know I'm, I'm someone that gets lost in my head constantly and James and I are quite lucky in the sense that we have a relationship where if one of us is down then the other one is most likely to be up it's really dangerous when both of us are down by the way but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, he he's lift he's, he's lifted me out of the uh out of the depths of business-based stuff uh more times than I can count I, I owe that man so, so much, but I think there is a broad lesson there for folks in business, which is if you can, even if they're not an official co-founder, find, find your people and hold them tight and let them know that you love them, but also, you know, listen to them and, and do what you can, because, uh, I don't think any of us do this alone, even if we don't have a, a formal co-founder or, or whatever it may be. Very, very humble, Joe, you are. And yet I can tell you meant every word of that. So that was lovely. Um, I've got some listener questions to hurl at you, Joe. <laughs> nice, good. <laughs> Asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. <laughs> I'm going to start with Ellie. Ellie asks, what is your... Fa- oh, no, Ellie's got two here. Ellie, what is your favourite TMM talk of all time? Uh-huh. And which episode that hasn't been released yet are you most excited for oh so if you can answer this without upsetting everyone else who's done a talk <laughs> so i am going to give the cop-out answer here in a way and i'm going to say in a way because i actually think there are elements of different talks which i admire and appreciate and so i'm going to pick out a few because i think there's there's um there's a few notable characteristics that anyone could take inspiration from uh, in, in their talks. Um, and so the first is a lady called uh, Mary Awusu, who is based over in New York. Uh, Mary is an SEO um, expert and she has the gift of clarity. I've never met a communicator who is able to give words so generously 
take people with her on a journey, but also convey her message in a way which everyone understands. It's for that reason that she's she's a professor over at one of the colleges over there, but she she is not only kind in spirit, but she is clear with her words. And so Mary has come three times to the marketing meetup to speak on quite tactical talks, such as uh, the transition to Google Analytics 4. But uh, Mary's communication style is, is something I really, really admire. The next one I'd point out is uh, Max Hoppy, who gave a talk on uh, public speaking. And the thing that I loved about Max's talk was that he grounded it in a story. And so, so many people come to uh, marketing meetup events, not even marketing meetup events, sort of events in general and say, today I'm going to speak about the top 10 things you can do to uh, increase your video production, for example. And then they launch into the top 10 things and it's fine, but the thing that that doesn't have is any emotional resonance. So Max's talk began with a story about how he'd had a panic attack at the beginning of an event where he was expected to do some public speaking. He then referred to that story throughout the course of his presentation, linking together the tactics that he was presenting to the story. And it was just such a phenomenal device for explaining the things that he did because it was suddenly grounded in emotion. And so I really, really like that. There's then, uh, there's, there's a final category, which is the people who just bring it. And I've named three here. And unfortunately, mate, I'm, I'm going to put you in it as well, <laughs> which is there's you, uh, there's Sophie Cross, and then there's Diane Weiridu. Now, all three of you, hopefully I won't be offending you here, but like none of you have the profile of, say, the Ritzons of the world. But what every one of you do or did with your presentations is you came and you'd be, you'd prepared you prepared like phenomenal talks every one of you all three of you had taken the time to clearly think through what you wanted to convey all three of you had clearly practiced all three of you had taken the time to personalize it to the audience the benefit of all three of those things is like the talks particularly i thought your second talk um in particular came through in this way was just like bloody hell you know hours have gone into this but the output was phenomenal. And so on a general piece of advice for folks, if anyone's looking to give a talk, honestly, practice, time, it really, really, really shows. There's nothing worse than a speaker who turns up and says, oh yeah, I just made this presentation on the train. It's like, it's so disrespectful to the audience, but it's also, you know, like it it doesn't do themselves justice. And so I would put, uh, a few people in that final category of of where to start. In terms of people to look forward to, um, well, the marketing meetup doesn't really record uh, talks in the same way as most people do. We we produce uh, an episode a week and then and then we release it on that same day. It's, it's live. It's live broadcast. We then put it on the podcast and so to speak. So uh, so there aren't really any that we haven't recorded yet, um, although. I'm now going to backtrack a little bit because we do really talks in seasons. And so um, thinking ahead, the one that pops into my head is probably one of two. So the first is uh, Kirsty Hunter, who is the CMO of Innocent Smoothies. Uh, She is going to come and speak about, or rather I'm going to interview her on how to market like Innocent, which I think for anyone who is in marketing in the UK, probably has seen Innocent's 
marketing over the course of time and, and probably thought that's quite good. So I'm really excited for that. And then the other one that I'm excited about is um, we're going to interview a guy called uh, Derek Sivers. Derek has given a talk and, and that hasn't been announced actually. So that is a, a little announcement, I guess. But Derek has, has delivered a, a TED talk on, on the TED proper stage but has a fascinating story himself. He, he he grew a business, sold it for 20 million or something like that, and then gave it all to a foundation. And so it is his own foundation, so he can draw a salary from it. But the foundation, in effect, does good based on the money that he has, he has uh, amassed from the sale of his company many, many years ago. And he in particular is just like this softly spoken, cool you know, life in perspective kind of dude. And like, I can't wait for that. Well, I, I think, that sounds good. yeah, people from time to time sort of comment on my voice and like how it's like chill and stuff like that. But like Derek is like another level. So we're either going to send people to sleep or like really invigorate people. I'm not sure. We'll go one of the two ways. <laughs> oh, amazing. Great answer. Can't thank you enough for your kind words too, mate. I um I didn't know until yesterday actually your Mark Ritson talking about how the innocent founders were ex McKinsey, and yet yeah. I think most people in marketing know about the bin story. So uh, <laughs> maybe you can maybe you can ask her about that as well. I'm so I'm mindful that Ellie got two questions in there. So I'm going to play a card I rarely play, which is the host's privilege of asking <laughs> the other question, right. as is my want. <laughs> And I did stick this on LinkedIn and I can't work out if it's a good question or a terrible, terrible question, but anyone who's seen our recent promo video will understand that sometimes it's hard to know which is which with me. Um, (laughs) But what is more important in your opinion for the marketing meetup? Is it making marketers know slash understand more about marketing or is it making marketers realize that there's so much more to learn than they already know? Oh, nice. I don't know. I, I I think it's <laughs> I, I think it's no, I'm not going to say it's both because like that's 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 like we went back to the quick fire round there and, and and like I know how this podcast works you want answers you want answers Joe. <laughs> <God damn it. laughs> to be honest, mate, it's a git of a question. I don't even know if they're the same thing, and I and I think it's only for me the whole market orientation thing of starting with a blank page and you know just going into that mindset of knowing nothing and, and yeah. filling in the gaps is, is key. And I also think it's really important. Uh, for marketers to stop pretending that they know everything because you need that empathy to be a successful marketer. So I kind of wonder if, I mean, there's obviously both at play here. I just thought I'd throw you a really cool curveball. No, no, no. I I think that's important though. Your second point in particular really resonates. I think in particular, there are a bunch of lies that we tell as marketers, like attribution is sorted is one of them. You know, I, I don't think we tell it to each other, but we might tell it to business owners. You know, we will be able to tell you exactly how you got your customers. And then they go about sort of setting it up with a last click attribution model or, or you know, our data is infallible, but it just isn't, you know, uh, it just isn't. And and I, I think there's a lot of, lot of value in, in, in those conversations. So I think the, the danger isn't necessarily that, it's about the marketing industry. I'm in fact increasingly less interested in the marketing industry in a sense because I, I, I don't want to just have conversations with marketers. I want marketers to be having conversations with business owners. And so I think 
if we could have more honest conversations about the things that we don't know, then I think that is a good place to get to. There's layers of complexity involved in there, including personal confidence, including sort of job pressures, including expectations around marketing, including maybe just the next person in the line is happy to tell the lies that that mean that they get the job and, and you don't. There's an awful lot of, of texture within that argument. But I think on a, on a broad level, I think not only making people aware of what they don't know, but then giving them the confidence and having an honest conversation with, between ourselves and with business owners and, and our bosses to say, we don't know this, but we're going to give it our best guess uh, is probably a, a better place to take the marketing industry than just pretending we know a bunch of things. Well, you not only managed to kind of dodge it, but you gave a really clever answer, which is both inspiring and annoying. <laughs> well done. Well done. Really should become an MP. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't do that, mate. Don't do that. <laughs> the final part of the interview, Joe, is our four pertinent poses, starting with what advice would you give to your younger self? Nice. So um, I'm going to switch it up slightly because uh, it's the best piece of advice that I've ever been given. And it's now the piece of advice which I give. So it's, it's both, uh, which is don't give advice. Uh, <laughs> and it, it came from my dad. And, and there is a second half to the sentence, which is don't give advice, but do share your opinions or experience. I think there's a, and the, the reason for this is that so often we jump to advice and say, what you need to do is dot, dot, dot. But actually, the thing that really matters is that we are sharing our opinions or experiences and saying, well, this worked for me, and so you may want to try it. And so I've always gravitated away from advice and always gravitated towards storytelling advice and experience. Lovely. Lovely. I should have got your dad on. <laughs> no, he, 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 keeps, he keeps telling me that he earns, he earns more than me, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wonderful uh, if you if you could banish one thing from the industry joe what would it be and why a surface level veneer of nothingness just just nothing you know nothingness. in fact can i give it <laughs> can i give a very pithy answer but one that's yes, very please, yeah, yeah. meeting uh laptops and meetings people walking into to meetings and and having their laptop open as as a default uh, not only do I think it's it's a little bit rude, I think it just like I actually there's like that anti anti meeting movement going on right now. But I think most meetings are a bit crap because most people aren't meeting when they're meeting, and whether it's online and and you see people's eyes sort of dart to the top left corner when they see a Slack notification come through, or uh, when you're in a meeting in person and people someone's got their laptop open and they're clearly doing work when you're speaking to them, then. Uh, then that would be something I would banish immediately because I think it's uh, it's counterproductive and uh, not respectful to your teammates. Yeah, brilliant one. I love that. It's not come up before on episode, what are we, 105-ish? <laughs> well, it's because it's, it's, very, it it's very, very specific. <laughs> so. It is. It's, it's, it's wonderfully specific. <laughs> uh, number three, are there any books that you can recommend to our listeners? So I, I don't do marketing books um, because I get my marketing education from TMM, if I'm honest. Um, and so the two the two books that have had a big impact on me recently, and they're both on the same subject, and it's a little bit, 
well, it's very morbid, but like, I love history and uh, both of the books are about Auschwitz. And uh, one is Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl. And the big takeaway from that book is that they can take your body, but they can't take your mind um, is, is, is a, a very paraphrased way of, of, of saying that. Um, there's a lot more nuance there. And then the second is a, a more recent book um, called The Escape Artist. Um, and it's about the story of uh, one of only five people who escaped Auschwitz and uh, one of only five Jews who escaped Auschwitz. And it's just, it's a really, really interesting book, really, to, to hear more the story of how they escaped than anything, but also quite harrowing um, in in their treatment. I, the reason why I bring both of those things up is that I just think history can just teach us so much. And so there's there's that element, but I also think as marketers, it's our responsibility if we are going to be relating to human beings to know what human beings are capable of, both good and bad. And um, that's how we can sort of build proper human relationships based on reality more than any other thing. Yeah, well said, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, I'm just spouting rubbish here, mate. I, I, I don't know. Like, hopefully, <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it's, 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 I suppose in many ways, I don't mean to take it to a more uh, sort of trivial tone, but in many ways, it's it's the whole behavioural science argument, isn't it? If you work in this industry and you're not interested in how humans behave, then what you know, what are you doing? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, you know, that's the best bit. People are the best bit. <laughs> yes, yeah, they're the constant as well. They're the constant. Um, number four, then, we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow or hospital pass that honour, depending on your view, to our guest who has to give their reason why. So would you kindly do the honours? One of the things that we did last year at the Marketing Meetup was establish a board uh, for the first time. Um, and uh, there's, there's, there's two chaps, Alex Wright and, and Max Hopkinson, who... Um, who, who came onto that board. And, and the interesting thing that I've reflected over this past year is that um, it's very hard to imagine a world that you don't know exists. And I think with the marketing meetup in particular, we were, we were shooting for, you know, the States when we could have been shooting for the moon. And even though that's like, you know, super, super, super cringy. I mean, like the point is that they, they instilled an ambition and a confidence in me that has really enabled us to sort of take some big steps in the past year. And so uh, on reflection, they've had a really quite profound difference in my life. And so uh, they're worthy of note uh, in, in, in this, this recording as well. Fantastic. So as a final call to action, everyone listening, you can head over to this listing. We've included Joe's books, The Escape Artist and Man's Search for Meaning, I implore you to check out the marketing meetup if you are not familiar with it already, which will be linked as will Joe's social profile links. How else can our audience get more Joe Glover? You don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Come to one of our events. Um, I think you'd have a nice time, uh, whether that's online or in person. I'm on LinkedIn way, way too much. um, So that's cool. Um, the, 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 The newsletter is there. I love it. I put a lot of effort into it. I do think it is good. But if you want anything, then let me know. I'm hilariously crap on email, but I, I, <laughs> I get back to folks if I can because uh, you're all important. So 
that would be me. Well, Joe, thank you. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving us growth enables impact. I liked that. Self-worth does not correlate with salary. Don't give advice, share opinions and experiences. There's loads there to, um, there's loads there to admire, mate. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, mate. I, I, you know, I, I, to, to pay homage just to, and you know, like the way that you go around business and, and the way that you conduct yourself is so admirable and inspirational that I, I, I really you know, admire the heck out of you, mate. So I'm, I've wanted to be on here because you just do a really good job. And so thank you for, thank you for having me. Like, I appreciate you and I appreciate it. You asked me to cut you off when you're talking nonsense. <laughs> so I cut you off. <laughs> thank you, yeah, I forced my way in. <laughs> so. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the pod. Keep your questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online or you can email hello at calltoaction.co. Try and I try and I try.